I have reason to believe, guys, that one team out there, at least, and it only takes one, is willing to pay Bo Horvat a number that starts with a nine. Good Lord. Really? This team that I spoke to said they think Bo Horvat is just a way younger version of Ryan O'Reilly. 801 on a Thursday, Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Where else in Radioland are you going to get that kind of juicy information and the gobsmacked reply from a co-host? Good Lord. That was a good follow-up question, eh? Really? (laughs) Are you sure? Okay, follow-up. Are you really sure? That's like when they went to the uh, Quickie Mart place. With, uh, do you remember that uh, yeah. when he was trying to save Apu's job? Yes. Are you really the yes. president? Really? Yes. Really? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm looking at this now. You know, there's more $9 million cap hits in the NHL than you think. There are. Don't I mean, try and rationalize this. What? What do you mean, rationalize it? <laughs> 35 players in the NHL have a $9 million cap hit. Who's the I worst mean. player with a $9 million cap hit that you can pick Bobrovsky? up? Bobrovsky? Bobrovsky, yeah. yeah. Be up there. A lot of, I'm like, damn, a lot of these guys are good. Um, I mean, Jamie, Jamie Benn, I guess, because yeah. his contract is aged poorly. Right. Speaking of aging poorly, how's that Johnny Gaudreau contract looking in Columbus right now? <laughs> They're going for it. Like, what a ridiculous contract that is. Um, if the Canucks are looking to unload scoring wingers, that's where they should be looking at. Because I think Columbus. Were they going to add to the collection? Yeah, they need they need more, right? I think Voracek might be. Is he? Is, if you is have his line career in, in jeopardy yeah, right now, I think. Yeah, the concussion symptoms yeah. are, are serious. If, I think if you have um, Gaudreau and Line, you're, you're, I think they need better hockey players in other positions, potentially. Anyway, I the the Horvat thing is awfully interesting. Uh, for, again, again, to put Frank's remarks in context, he is correct. It only takes one. There might only be one. It's interesting to hear that uh, side of the negotiation because usually that would be from the player agent side starting with the astronomically high total. Right. This one's coming from the team. Like, we don't even have to meet you in the middle. We'll meet you right at the apex. Mm-hmm. $9 million a year. What a world. Anyway, uh, we got to move things along here. Halford and Brough in the Morning, the show you are listening to. Uh, we are brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour three of the program, Batch is going to join us in just a sec here to kick off hour three. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet, campbell-pound.com today. Phone lines, Batch, yes, you want to go? Oh, wait, I just wanted to say that we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. I have reads, too. That's right. Respect my reads. Okay. Are you good? I'm good. That's it. Uh, Batch joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Brendan Batchelor, what's up, dude? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I've called 24 goals this week already, so it's been a busy one. But uh, some entertaining hockey from the Canucks, anyway. Is your enthusiasm waning as the goals just could? Because you can't just like you can't make all the goal scorers big, right? Like you're just like, yeah, there's another one. I don't know what the score yeah. is. Yeah, it's it. You know, if you tried to ask me to break down the fifth goal from the game last night, I have no idea what the fifth goal was because you know it's it's been a couple of those nights where uh, defense has been optional, goaltending has been optional. I don't think you know you could say that any of these three wins that the Canucks have pulled off here have been pretty. 
but they've found a way. And, you know, here they are back at 500, which is a goal that they've been striving for for a while. So, uh, you know, they're, they're back to square one, I guess. And now we'll see how they can build off it going forward as the schedule gets a little bit more challenging than it has been over the past week or so. Batch, Batch, in your opinion, why are we seeing hockey like this? I'm not talking about just from the Vancouver Canucks. I'm talking league-wide. Yeah, I just think that there's a, a trend towards offense more so than we've ever seen. And you look at the number of offensive defensemen in the league and the number of teams that activate their defensemen. You know, if you're going to be that aggressive all the time, you are going to give up chances the other way too. But also if you're aggressive offensively with your D-men, then you're going to get goals too. So, um you know, it's it's maybe kind of like it, it almost feels like things are coming full circle and it's going back to the way things were in the 80s. Like, I can't remember seeing a 9-8 score in recent years until the game between L.A. and, and Seattle a, a few nights ago. So, um, you know, I'll be interested to see how it changes as the year goes on because oftentimes things are loose early in the season and then when the games get more important and you get into the stretch run, coaches get their teams locked into their systems and they play tight defense and suddenly the scoring goes away. But here we are in early December and it hasn't happened yet. So maybe it won't this year. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Spencer Martin, all he does is win hockey games. I just wonder about the sustainability of this. I think it's he's reflective of a team that plays high event hockey is there's a lot of goals conceded. I'm sure he would like a couple back, but he also made a lot of big saves, including the back-to-back ones in overtime. Uh, curious to get your thoughts. You've had a pretty decent look at him now. Uh, what can we expect realistically, or are we even dealing in the realm of realism now? Because regardless of his save percentage, Spencer Martin just wins hockey games. Yeah, he finds a way. And you know, the save percentage numbers aren't great. Uh, obviously he, has not been operating in a tremendous environment with the way the team defends in front of him. And you could say the same for Thatcher Demko before he went out with the injury too. But, you know, there's there's something to be said for finding a way to win games. Now, you look at the last three games, and they're all against teams that aren't very good. So this Canucks group and the goaltender in particular are going to be tested when you look at some of the games they have going forward. Minnesota on Saturday, you know, Calgary comes in uh, next week, middle of the week. So it's it's not all going to be quote-unquote bottom feeders that you're going up against, which means if this group plays the way that they've played in front of Spencer Martin – it doesn't matter if it's Spencer Martin, Colin Delia, Thatcher Demko, or one of us. If they defend that way, they're going to give up goals. But uh, I have been impressed with, I don't really think you can quantify it. It's just Martin finds a way to make the saves he needs to make to allow his team to win games. And that's pretty much what he's done consistently ever since he's had a chance at the NHL level with the Canucks. What did you make of JT Miller not seeing the ice in overtime? Yeah, I, I didn't really think about it in the moment. And then afterwards, you know, listening to the postgame show, thinking about, oh, yeah, right. I guess he didn't get out there. It wasn't a great game for Miller. And I think what Boudreaux probably realizes is that when things aren't going well for Miller, he tries to force plays a little bit too much. And I think back to a power play earlier in the game where he turned the puck over twice when they were set up in the offensive zone by trying to force passes through the seam in the slot and Sharks defenders were, you know, wise to that, were ready for it, broke it up and, and cleared the puck down the ice. And the one thing you don't want in overtime in three-on-three three 
is forcing plays because we see that come back to bite teams whenever that happens. And in today's NHL, teams are more conservative in overtime where they keep possession, they manage the puck well, they control it and look for their opening uh, rather than, you know, trying to play run and gun and force things back and forth. And um, with the way Miller was playing last night and some of the turnovers he had earlier in the game, I can understand why Boudreaux maybe thought, you know what, this might not be the night to throw him out there in overtime. But what will be interesting is if that becomes a trend where, you know, if this group goes to overtime going forward, is Miller not one of those guys anymore because maybe he's lost a little bit of the coach's trust when it comes to the way that he manages the puck? You know, that certainly uh, is a question that I, th- I think we'll, we'll continue to ask as this team goes forward this year because they have a variety of offensive options, you know, Maybe last year or the year before, you would be shaking your head at Miller not being out there in overtime because he's clearly one of the Canucks' best offensive players. But now they've got Pedersen and Kuzmenko and Besser and Horvat and all these guys that are also capable of producing. Uh, Mikheyev, too, with his speed, is is always going to be a candidate for overtime. So it might bump JT Miller down that list of guys that Bruce Boudreaux goes to once the game goes beyond 60 minutes. Have you also been noticing that Oliver ekman Larson's ice time has been dropping? Not yeah. down to like 10 minutes a night or anything, but more often than not now, he's below 20 minutes, whereas before he was often over 20 minutes, and he finished with just 17.41 last night, and he did not play in overtime. Yeah, and you know, over the last few games, uh, last six or seven games, I would say that his minutes have started to go down, you know, up to that point in the year, he was, you know, on the average ice time for the Canucks, he was number two behind, behind Quinn Hughes at around 21 minutes. And he was there routinely. And, you know, you'd go on NHL.com and look at the stats, and there's Ekman Larson second on the list behind Hughes. He's dropped uh, last check, I think, to fourth or fifth on the team. There are some forwards that are averaging more ice time than him now. And I think it speaks to how difficult it's been for him here early in this year. It also speaks, to a certain extent, to the emergence of Ethan Bear, who was the guy that got some of those looks in overtime in his place and, you know, is gaining more trust with this coaching staff to a certain extent. So, you know, early in the year when Ekman Larson was struggling, you know, my thought process was, okay, let's give him some time, get him into the year, see if he can improve defensively. But... You know, it it hasn't really been there. And you look at the last five games, he's a minus player in all five. Uh, Even playing some of those reduced minutes in the Arizona game, he only played 15 minutes, I think it was. And, you know, this is concerning for a guy that still has term left on his contract. If his game is falling off this much already, uh, it's going to be awfully hard for this group to, to move forward with his contract on the books if he's essentially giving you third pairing defenseman quality play and you know his minutes are starting to reflect that the coaching staff understands that they maybe can't trust him in the situations that they did last year so that's going to be an evolving storyline that we'll continue to track and follow but um, you know I also don't think there's a coincidence in the fact that he's played under 19 minutes in the last three games and the Canucks have found a way to win the last three games to either right that of all these like really interesting trends that may or may not be developing in the moment the one about 
ice time. And then I would relate it to accountability is going to be really fascinating to watch moving forward. Like the Miller thing, I kind of framed it this morning is, look, this is just another example of Bruce Boudreaux preaching accountability. If you're not going to do the things that make you successful, you're not going to play. And if you look at the 27 game sample size of this season for Boudreaux, I mean, think about what he's done. Healthy scratch for Kuzmenko, healthy scratch for Garland, healthy scratch for Hoaglander. Pod Colson demoted to Abbotsford. They tried to healthy scratch Besser, but that didn't work out. So there has been a series of accountability moments. And I do wonder moving forward if it's going to be Bruce saying, I got to do whatever I can to get wins. It doesn't matter who gets offended or who gets hurt about their lack of playing time. I guess the real thing now is if we see if this plays out over the next couple of games and if it's just a one-off or if it's a trend. Yeah, well, with Ekman Larson, I think it's a trend. Maybe less so with Miller because he's continued to produce. But you're right. This is Bruce Boudreaux saying, you know, I'm going to make the decisions that I think are the best for me to win hockey games because that's entirely what he's here to do. And, you know, without a contract for next year and with his future uncertain, he needs to get this team to win as many games as possible and squeeze as much out of them as he can get. So, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of people you know, on Twitter in my mentions talking about how, oh, if he's going to scratch Besser, then he's got to scratch Miller too. And, you know, I I don't think it's ever going to get to that level with JT Miller because as much as he can be frustrating defensively and as much as the turnovers bother you and some of the bad no-look drop passes or trying to force plays, he still does produce consistently. You know, he's one of the top scorers on this team. And whenever you do that, you're going to be in the lineup. But, you know, if he can reduce Ekman Larson's minutes, he can reduce Miller's minutes too if he doesn't think that it's a fit. Or he can move him down the lineup like he's done with some of these other wingers, whether it be Garland or Hoaglander or Besser in, in various spots, depending on who's going and who isn't in terms of who gets demoted to that third you know, slash fourth line now really that um, you know had Studnika centering at last night. Sheldon Dries has been there of late for the most part. But you know, the fact that there's more competition for spots, especially on the wing in the top six. I mean, now that Miller's been moved to the wing, we know that Horvat and Pedersen are your top two centermen, and that's the way it's going to be. But for all the guys on the wing on those lines, they have to perform because Boudreaux has not been afraid to demote guys to the third line or, or the fourth line, whatever you want to call it, because certainly the Oman line gets more trust uh, than that stud Nika line from last night and usually more minutes as well. Um, you know, I don't think Miller's excluded from that. If he doesn't produce or if he becomes more of a liability than a benefit in terms of his turnovers and his puck management as opposed to the offense that he produces, especially at five-on-five five, because we always know he's going to get his points on the power play, then, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a shakeup in the lines going forward and Miller's minutes come down too, which I think says a lot for a head coach that has at times played JT Miller into the ground since he arrived in in Vancouver just over a year ago. Now, the flip side of this conversation is that if someone ice time goes down or someone comes out of the lineup, it's an opportunity for another guy. I do wonder, and I know it's a small sample size, it's only one game, but based on how efficient Dakota Joshua was in just over 11 minutes of ice time last night, if he might be in line for a more prominent role moving forward, because we saw yesterday was sort of the, oh, he's on the power play now, and that's a new wrinkle. Yeah, he uh, was going to go into that spot when they were preparing to healthy scratch Besser and then obviously missed the last two games. But with them pulling Sheldon Dries out of the lineup to get him back in, he had the opportunity on the net front 
uh, in, in the net front area on the power play. And I thought he looked pretty good in that role. And, you know, if he can gain some confidence and continue to do the things that have allowed him to have success here early in the year, getting in on the four check, protecting the puck with his body, taking it to the net and helping create chances, then absolutely there's going to be an opportunity for him to play more because, you know, that's a player profile for my money that the Canucks don't really have other than him on their roster, especially up front. And if, you know, his his ability to do a lot of the things that have made that Oman line successful to this point in the year can be translated into some more offense if they put him in more of those kind of opportunities, then certainly they're going to give him those chances because, you know, this is a team that right now they can't defend very well, so they need goals and they need them from everywhere in their lineup. And if they can turn Dakota Joshua into a 15-goal scorer, this year or, or, you know, I guess at the high end, potentially a 20 goal scorer, although I think you'd have to absolutely, uh, you know, go on fire here for the rest of the season and get a much more prominent role in the lineup if that were to happen. But, you know, this is a team that hasn't really had a lot of production from its bottom six over the last few years. It's something that, you know, was harped on even back, you know, in the Benning tenure where they talked about wanting to have three scoring lines. Well, with some of the guys you've got playing on that that other line we talked about already, whether it's Garland being bumped out of the top six or whoever ends up playing there, Kuzmenko right now as well. And then the fact that Dakota Joshua and, you know, that line with Neil Zoman and Curtis Lazar have created a little bit of offense here too. It's more depth scoring than we've seen from the Canucks in recent years. And, and you know, aside from the fact that they really struggle to keep the puck out of their net, that's a positive sign because it's not really something that they've had a lot over the past few years you know, getting that secondary scoring. Hey, Batch, if the Canucks were forced to move on from Bo Horvat because they're not willing to pay him what he wants, how fundamentally different would the Canucks look? I think completely. Uh, he's such an important part of this team right now. You know, not just the goals, not just the production, but the fact that he takes every important face-off for this team. And I know face-offs aren't the be-all and end-all, but right now they don't really have anyone else on this roster that can consistently win a draw. And he's a guy that Bruce Boudreaux throws out there in the offensive zone late in games, in the defensive zone when he needs a a key draw win. Um, He's a guy that plays the power play for them and scores a lot. He's a guy that, you know, doesn't play a ton of penalty kill ice time, but they still use him in that face-off role there as well. And he's really you know, evolving as a player this year to be someone that is, you know, an elite goal scorer in this league. Just look at where he is on on the goal scoring list up in the top five. Um, You know, I I heard you guys playing the clip from Frank coming, coming in and it doesn't surprise me that there's a team out there that wants to pay him that kind of money because he's starting to look like he can be a top end goal scorer and a legit bona fide number one center for an NHL club, which I don't think a lot of people expected from Horvat. You know, when he first came into the league, there were conversations about his skating and about how he might be sort of a, a third-line center at best. And, you know, he's steadily worked every year to improve his game. And this year, the big thing you notice is his ability to tip pucks, and it's resulted in a lot more offense from him. So, you know, it would be impossible for this team, in my mind, not to take a step back if they move on from Bo Horvat, and it might be a massive step back because he's such an integral part of this group that, you know, I think it would completely change the landscape of the way this team is built, 
the way you have to think about, you know, how the roster will be constructed going forward. And it's going to be really interesting to see whether they end up moving on from him or whether they can, you know, sign him to a deal. Because in, in my mind, with sort of the level he's taken his game to right now, I think it could potentially be a, a catastrophic loss for this club if he's not here beyond this season. Of course, signing him to a contract that's worth more than he's worth could also be yeah. painful for the team. So they're in a tough position. I, I just think about, let's say they trade him at the deadline and they get back uh, a defenseman or draft picks or whatever. They don't replace him at center, obviously, because how would that work? A trade for a center for a center is not going to work. Um, where are the Canucks down the middle then? You like Pedersen down the middle, but do you like Miller as a center? And the Canucks still don't have a 3C. Right, like there, I think there's probably a reason they want to see Jack Studnika down the middle is because they're looking at him going, well, with all due respect to Sheldon Dries, he's probably not the answer there long term. Got Curtis Lazar under contract, but he's a fourth liner. I don't think you want him as your three C. It suddenly puts this position, the, the the Canucks in this position of, oh my God, we've lost, we've lost a center and we need to replace it. And we don't. How do you replace a a center like Bo Horvat? Yeah, you know, unless you're going to go and pay big for someone else in free agency, you don't replace a center like Bo Horvat immediately. And what you would hope, I guess, is that Pedersen can take his game to another level. And, you know, certainly he's a great two-way player. He probably should be, you know, relied on as their number one center right now uh, anyway with his, his two-way profile. But um, that would sort of thrust him into that, you know, you are legitimately the number one centerman on this team situation. So, you know, I, I think that's a, a role that he's ready for. But, you know, yeah, then who's your two seat? Are you going to try to move Miller back to the middle? You might be forced to uh, if you move on from Horvat just because you may not have any other options. And then in that three C spot, I think what you're what you've got right now at the bottom of that lineup is they've got a number of guys that could fill that role, and they're hoping that one of them steps up to to really grasp that opportunity. So whether it's Studnika, you know, whether it's Lazar, whether Oman, you know, it's easy to forget Oman's still a, a rookie in the NHL here. So could he continue to grow and become that third line center going forward? I think that's something that you know he could certainly be prepared for, and you could argue that that line is the third line already anyway. So um, it, it'll be very interesting if they do in the end move on from Horvat, but you know, it, it will leave a gaping hole down the middle and without, you know, Horvat here, we've already talked in the past few years about how they've struggled to find that third line centerman. So, you know, you'd probably be looking for a second line centerman as well. If Horvat left, uh, which could leave this club in a bit of a tough situation, if they're not able to make some other moves to free up more cap space to try and help in that regard. Batch, this was great, bud. Thanks a lot for doing it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy the game on Saturday. We'll do this again next week. Sounds good. I'll be enjoying the game on Saturday morning as well. Hopefully yeah, we right. Get it done against France. Tough Come on, test, England. Though. Fingers crossed. Thanks, Batch. Appreciate it, bud. Yep. Thank and, you. Uh, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Just for the sake of clarity and having it out there so everyone has the information at their fingertips, the Ryan O'Reilly trade, when it happened, Similarities with Horvat, they were both the same age. Uh, they were both playing for teams that were losing more than they were winning. I know the Canucks are at NHL 500 right now, but um, the O'Reilly tra- it's going to be apples to oranges always because I don't think the comparison is apt other than the fact that they were 27-year-old centers that were about to change d- 
directions and locations. Mm -hmm. And they're higher-end guys. They're good players, both of them, but different profiles. Uh, It's funny how that O'Reilly trade has worked out hindsight-wise because it's four years since. And now one of the sort of, I'm going to say forgotten pieces, he certainly wasn't the centerpiece (laughs) of the trade, was Tage Thompson, Mm -hmm. has now turned into, I mean, God, I don't think you'd trade Ryan O'Reilly straight up for Tage Thompson in in a lifetime right now. I I think it was one of those trades that's worked out well for both teams because the St. Louis Blues got out of the sad club and they won the Stanley Cup with a lot of help from Ryan O'Reilly. And although that trade looked heavily in favor of the Blues for a few years now, mm-hmm. you're starting to see Tage Thompson turn into one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. So the reason I bring it up is that um, Buffalo got a veritable booty, a bounty in return, right? So they got a couple of fringe NHLers that were out of the league after a little while, Patrick Berglund and Vladimir Sabatka. You remember them? What was Ryan O'Reilly's contract situation? He had five years left on his contract. So that's different. It's a lot different. So that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's always going to be apples to oranges in this regard. They got Berglund, Sabatka, Thompson, a first and a second. That's, I mean, that's five. You have to brought, bring some contracts back in return. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of assets. It, but again, it took a long time for that to play out. Up until this year, really, I don't think... I mean, I know Thompson had the sort of anomaly last year to statistically, but I don't think anyone thought that that would ever be considered a win for Buffalo until right now. So it's just another thing to consider with regards to Bo Horvat. I'll say this. If they can fetch and they being the Vancouver Canucks can fetch a kind of return that they just were unable to get from the JT Miller situation last year, at the deadline for a multitude of reasons. But if they get something, I feel like the ghosts of passing on a Miller deal they might have learned from them because this is a chance. I want them to have two first round picks in this draft. Okay, that's a good a good a like start, jump, that's a good jump start this prospect group. Lekaramaki isn't looking great right now. They need more prospects, high end ones. I don't want. I can't go there right now. Okay, I can't, I can't do the Lekaramaki. He's too young. He's like he had mono. Like he's a teenager. Oh, he had um, mono. <laughs> he had mono. He's a teenager with mono. Um, I'll say this: it's going to be extremely difficult not to look at this situation, not as losing a player but as an opportunity to kickstart a lot of different areas of your organization that need kickstarting uh, draft capital, potential prospect, like a pick and a prospect means a, a hell of a lot right mm-hmm. now. And Horvat is holding up his end of the bargain by not just playing well, but becoming one of the elite goal scorers in the NHL through the quarter mark of the season. He's right up there with Robertson and McDavid and, Everybody else. I mean, it it is a scenario where turn that frown upside down, everyone. You could really make this into a positive. But you've got to have the gumption to do it. And you also have to learn from the past, right? Like, I don't know if you were to get Alvin and Rutherford and Castonge and everyone else um, in, in a room, Granado, in a room. I don't know what they would say about hindsight being twenty twenty if they would have taken a JT Miller deal at the deadline, even if it wasn't necessarily the deal that they wanted, right? I just wonder between the cap space that you would have had and the assets that you would have gleaned if it wouldn't have been the best thing long term. But they've got an opportunity now. And I'll just be very curious to see if I keep using the word gumption for some reason or another. But if they've got the gumption to go ahead and be like, you know what? Love Bo. Great captain. Great player. Doing wonderful things for us this year. But this is not about him so much as it is about moving things forward. Right? It's not you. It's us. And by forward, it might be backward for a bit. You're uh, listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Get your What We Learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. 
for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. 8.34 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Got a lot of business to attend to here, so bear with me. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is also brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We have two contests that are going to be decided in the next 25 minutes. The first is an entry into the scenic rush driving experience where you get to go on the sea to sky for three hours. You get to drive four different supercars, a Lamborghini, a Ferrari, a Corvette, and a Porsche. Okay? Got all that? I'd the- choose the Lambo, I think. Uh, yeah. The La- the Lamborghini Huracan. Okay. I, I hope that's... Do you have the- to roll the R's there? <laughs> you do. The Lamborghini Huracan. Is it made in South America or... I don't know. Okay. Is there a PT Cruiser on the list? No. Oh, damn it. What kind of contest is this? <laughs> Stop throwing me off. I said I had a lot of business to attend. <laughs> All right, you take care of business. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give away uh, an entry into the grand prize draw on Friday. If you send a what we learned and you want to drive a fancy car, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Hashtag it WWL and add a car emoji. That'll get you into the grand prize draw on Friday. Now. If you want to go see the Canucks play hockey, the Vancouver Canucks play an NHL game on Saturday. Yes, Saturday against the Minnesota Wild. You can also send a what we learned. You can win the tickets today. No grand prize draw. Boom. Tickets today. Hashtag it WWL. Tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. Text it to 650-650 and add a ticket emoji into your text. Now, if you want to be a big shot and you want to run the whole thing, you can do a really, really good what we learned. Hashtag it WWL and put a ticket and a car emoji. That covers all your bases. You get entered into all kinds of draws. Are we good? No, we're not because we have to do a soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed pro all the way. I said the one big story and the one big narrative coming out of Qatar for the round, the quarterfinal round, was the looming specter of penalties for all these teams and how crappy the penalties have been so far. There's another story, and it revolves entirely around Cristiano Ronaldo and the Portuguese national team. So, yesterday, the Portuguese national team and the Football Federation stoutly denied reports that Ronaldo threatened to leave the team (laughs) after he was dropped from the starting 11 in their round of 16 destruction, not just win, destruction, over Switzerland. Ronaldo shot back at the claims, the uh, FPF. That's the Portuguese Football Federation. They ah, shot yes. back. They, they shot back at it the as f- well. F- f- <laughs> Excuse me. Are, are you with the... F- <laughs> <laughs> Sir? Sir? Uh, this man some help. This is why we get sidetracked. Keep this going. Anyway, uh, I will say this. I don't follow Bill Simmons as closely as I used to, but he brought a tweet. He brought uh, the old Ewing theory mm-hmm. out of Cobwebs, and he's like, we have an emergency team flying over to Qatar to investigate if the Ewing theory applies to Ronaldo and the Portuguese national team. I have the question of the year yep. for sports radio, yep. especially our show. Okay. Whose ego has been more badly damaged in the last six months, Ronaldo's mm-hmm. or Russell Wilson's? Oh, it's Ronaldo for sure. Just because of how big a star he is and worldwide. Well, Russell Wilson also still gets to play. That's the big difference yeah, right now. Yeah, but he's not playing well. Yeah, but he's playing. Yeah. Ronaldo doesn't have a team. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like, I mean, there's that that Saudi money, live golf money, just sitting there, right? Uh, and then the biggest blow to his ego right now is not that he got dropped from the starting eleven in Portugal's six-one destruction of Switzerland. It's that Portugal went out and played their best game, best match of the tournament. Not even questionably. Were you watching for if he'd be out there celebrating with his teammates when they scored? Everybody was. Have you yeah. seen the still shots from that? Was, it, was, he, was he trying his best to smile? Uh, I wouldn't say trying his best. I mean, he was trying. He looked pretty happy at times. Like, yeah, genuinely happy. At times, he did not. Now, it's hard right. when the, co- the camera is focused on you for 90 There were There were cameras, mm-hmm. both of the video and then the digital just stills, on him the entire match, yeah. just capturing his every reaction. There's an amazing shot from Qatar of an overhead of the throngs of reporters that were focused on the Portuguese <laughs> team when they were lining up, and then the eight times the size of the throng of reporters focused just on Ronaldo. It's a remarkable story that's played out. Yeah, it is. Uh, despite the fact that I think maybe the story that we're not talking about the most is that his replacement as the number nine in the team scored a hat trick against Switzerland. He's 21 years old, and it's very clear that this is a young man's game right now. It is going to be a fascinating dynamic at play because I'm already envisioning they're going up against Morocco, and it doesn't go like it does against Switzerland. They run Mm -hmm. up against this stout, resolute, defensive squad, and you're at minute 60 and 70, and it's a nil-nil match. And the Portuguese gaffer has to look down the bench, and he's like, "Damn, <laughs> all right, get in there." Yeah, he's like, "Now you." And it's it's so anyway. That's the soccer report. This soccer report was brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. Let's go into the Dunbar Lumber text line inbox now, David from Surrey. What we learned? I learned that Bruce Boudreau is the definition of a regular season head coach. I see now. Why his teams have not had playoff success because when the style changes in the postseason, his teams do not know how to respond. David, I think that's a very fair text. And I am wondering if you might also be Jim Rutherford. Because this is what Jim Rutherford was talking about with Bruce Boudreau if you read between the lines or even sometimes you don't need to read between the lines. What Jim Rutherford has said about Bruce Boudreau is he was the right coach for the Canucks last year when they fired Travis Green. And the weight of the world seemed to be on the Canucks. And everyone looked so miserable just being a part of this organization. Bruce Boudreaux was the guy that they needed to lift those dark clouds. But you can sense, and I think it's fairly obvious right now, that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Galvin do not believe that Bruce Boudreaux is the coach, is the right coach going forward if the idea is to have success in the playoffs. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've said what I've said, and I stand by it. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I think there's a multitude of problems with this team, and I have time for everything that you said and David Surrey said. I think there's some very valid points in there. Do you think they're a badly coached team? No. I do. I don't. I think they're a badly constructed team. I think that I think I agree with that as well. <laughs> I agree with that as well. Here's the great but thing: I think is they're a badly of, coached both team. Both of us can be right. Here, you know what? I'm going to say this. I think Bruce has been unfairly maligned, uh, largely from the guy that employs him, and I also think that um, his coaching style. Like, I don't know if he's the most adaptive head coach on the planet, but I've I've said this three times now. If you look at the big picture, he is trying to hold players accountable here. You were only given so many different tools in the toolbox as a head coach. He's I'm, I'm not going to give Bruce a standing ovation for finally um, doing something to JT Miller after all those gi- giveaways. All, but I'm not talking about just JT Miller. 
Kuzmenko wasn't doing what Bruce wanted him to do, so he healthy scratched him. Garland. Uh, well, he had to healthy scratch Pod some Coles guys. They got too many wingers. But they healthy scratched. For, they, they, he's done this like five different times with guys that you yeah, thought were going to be. because they got too many wingers. Right, but he's doing it for a reason. He's not doing it because there's a number. Why scratch. is Riley Stillman still playing? That's a different one. James in Qualicum Beach, what we learned, the coaching staff is losing trust with Miller's ability to manage the puck. Yeah, about time. Do you think they were in their coaches' rooms? It's like, hey, guys. Have you noticed that sometimes JT Miller is a little irresponsible with his passing? On occasion. And Mike Yo is like, I was going to bring this up. He I was going to kind of like to pass it to yeah, the other team. I find that, a you lot. know, like, I don't know if you guys, and, and it was crazy. I was on social media the other day, and some of the fans have been noticing it too, right? I like that every time we bring up the idea of bringing in more defensive structure, a new coach, Laddie gets in my ear and he's like, Mike Yo. That's what they have Mike Yo there for. There's I said Mike. you're going to get Mike Yo and you will like it. Yeah, it's like we're not going out. We're not going out for Barry Trotz. We have Mike Yo at home. Like that's that. And Greg has just got that in my ear every time. And I'm like, you know what? He's probably right. If you want to make a change, it's probably the more obvious. One. La- Laddie, this one's for you. This one's from Spanky from Pender Island. Oh, Spanky. Spanky. Oh, there's so many Spankies on Pender Island. Are you like Spanky Smith or Spanky Jones? Uh, what we learned: the era of the star goalie is over. And then Spanky challenges challenges us to name one current star goalie, to which I re- respond Vasilevsky. Uh, Hellebuck's having a star goalie. Yeah, season. I was going to say he's, he's yeah. pretty good. Um, yeah. Vasilevsky. It's funny because Vasilevsky's got a nine oh nine save percentage, and people might be like, "Oh, that's not very go- good, guys." That's above league average now. League yeah. average is nine oh four. Who's the Rangers goalie? Shesterkin. He's, having, he's, he's not having a good yeah, year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know who's having an unbelievable year is Linus Olmark. Yes. Well, he's, he's got a bit of a system in front of him. Yeah, right but, now, but he's, he's still got to stop the pucks. And right? also, to your point. Vitek uh, Vanacek. Yeah. Jason, you had that stat that you posted the other day about save percentage dropping yeah. in recent years. I was meeting with Woodley yesterday, and he counters your point by saying at this point last year, what, what, what did it finish at last year? 90... Uh, 907, maybe? It was I can't ni- remember. It was 901. At this point last year, oh, he had really? all the numbers okay. on his computer. By so the way, it, it, so it, it bounced back. It usually, it lags to start the year, and then it has a big boost towards the end. Of By the, the way, can we can we just tighten? Up. Can we just have a quick mention that Dan Vladar is now the number one in Calgary? I love Jacob Mark. Well, Stuart Skinner is the number one in Edmonton yeah. too, right? Both yeah. guys I love. Uh, guys, I love them all. The year that I, you know, they're guys that I wanted to get opportunities this year that I was fearful they wouldn't because of the guys that were starting in front of, and the money attached to those guys, but. They're taking the ball and running with it. How do you not love stories like that? Is Jake Ottinger a star goalie? Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we got lots. That's what we're saying. Uh, Maury, the mill guy, what we learned, since Team Canada got ousted from the World Cup, Halford has been fiery. It awoke something in him. Have, Have your been? passions been released? It's true. <laughs> you were fiery. You know what? That was actually fun to watch was not during, during the World Cup. Because you, you just had so many takes, you had so many opinions, and some yeah. of them, some of them were even a little controversial. Yeah, I think I'm trying to be, I'll get up to one hot take a day. I'm gonna write a book about it. One hot take a day. It's gonna be my story to success. You should no, I, you should release one of those daily calendars, which is like one hot take a day right. for Mike Alford. <laughs> There's it wouldn't little, be very timely. It's but. like an advent calendar. There's a little jalapeno behind it. You eat it. Halford yeah. only does listicle books and day daily. I'm a listicle guy yeah. at, at heart, really. At it. No, but, I think it's uh, like the far side rip calendar where you rip it off. It's, on, it's like on your desk one. Uh, from Peter, the teacher, what we learned, Dakota Joshua must have heard you guys compare him to the Sea of Grandland yesterday. Who did that? That was me. Yeah. That was you again with the hot takes with the controversial takes. I right? believe I referred Wait, to Dakota Joshua. Yeah. Just some guy? 
Just some guy was me. Oh wow! This entire time mm-hmm. I thought it was Bruff. No, it was me. Just some guy. I can't remember. It's good well, you're I, say it. the, I say the smart things. <laughs> I mean, like, look. good lord, <laughs> nine billion dollars for Bo Horvath. Follow up to that in this economy. Good lord, really? <laughs> that was uh, my follow up question. Yeah. I'd be a great interviewer. Yeah, you're Chris Farley interviewing Ringo, or interviewing uh, who's it? Uh, Paul uh, McCartney. Paul McCartney. You played. Do you, you remember that? That was awesome. Good the Beatles, lord. right? <laughs> uh, what we learned from goal a game, Gary. Hashtag WWL what we learned. Halford and Bruff need to do a little more homework before commenting that the World Cup is a young man's game. Did they know who Olivier Giroud is? Yeah, Gary, the one anomaly to the entire <laughs> argument uh, is definitely what I should base everything on. Is that Despite the, fan, the fact that France has one aged striker who's playing very well, that totally undermines the fact that Kevin De Bruyne came into the tournament and was like, mm-hmm. we have no chance of winning. We are too old. Do you know England's – I think England's oldest player might be Kyle Walker. Yeah, I think you're right. Who's I think he's like 30. 32 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's on yeah. the wrong side of 30. Mm-hmm. I mean, every sport – And he's is... got the assignment. He's got the assignment of the weekend with Mbappe. Yeah. Who's young, by the way, goal of game, Gary. I think um, <laughs> I think it's important to know. Well, look that... at the guys that are, that are with England right now. It's like Jude Bellingham, 19 years old. Phil Foden, how old is he, 21 or something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, all – you know, there's – it's just the reality of sport now is these guys arrive on the scene way earlier than ever before. And their peaks are way earlier than they were. And like our generation, I distinctly remember free agents and guys moving clubs and everything else in their late 20s, early 30s. And you're like, you're getting them in his prime. Steve Eiserman didn't win a cup till he was what? He was well past 30, mm-hmm. right? He spent the better part of 10 years in Detroit failing in the playoffs. But that's gone now. Like you, I mean, it's just the reality of it. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. It's, and there's always going to be outliers. We're just seeing it p- played out right now at the World Cup. Because, uh, I mean, Mbappe's leading the charge, right? And you do have the changing of the guard conversation at play because this is widely expected to be Messi and Ronaldo's last chance at mm-hmm. winning the world. They're done after this. The next World Cup, the goats that they are are not going to be there anymore. Kelly on the Sunshine Coast. What we learned, Halford and Bruff are the morning radio equivalent of NHL 500. <laughs> some great qualities, some fatal flaws, but compared to the competition, none. They're doing fine. Treading water. Yeah, we're NHL 500. I can, I can we might have that. an overall losing record, mm-hmm. but we've taken a few games to overtime. <laughs> I like how he points out that there's no competition. Thanks, Kelly, on the Sunshine Coast. It's important to note. It is. We got a ratings meeting afterwards. Will that be brought up? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> this is your numbers against nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. You're kicking the crap this out of This is all they're going to say. They're going to look at our ratings and say, Good Lord. <laughs> Uh, Jess the Undertaker, what we learned. He's grim. I should have trademarked the phrase, will be competitive in two years, because the number of times Canucks management have used that phrase in the last decade and a half, I'd probably be able to co-own the Canucks by now. Which brings me back to, I, I can't wait until the next Jim Rutherford interview. Yeah. I want to get it. What? Where are you guys right now? What? What is your thinking with this team right now? Are you still the at last check? They were still in the we'll keep pecking away at this roster stage, right? Mm -hmm. Does that change? Does that keep going? And if they can't afford to re-sign Bo Horvat, and depending on the return that they get, where does that leave them? Where does that leave them in wanting to just continue to go forward and to peck away? Because we're talking about a very important player that will leave the team then. 
Think of what the Canucks would have without Bo Horvat at center. They would have Petey as a first-line center, which you're fine with, right? Yep. Face-offs, whatever. It's not that big a deal. It really isn't. Uh, would yep. you then slot JT Miller into second-line center? No. You'd have a hole at 2C. That would be the end result of that. Okay, well, who's playing 3C? Jack Studnika? Sheldon Dry still? N- Nils Amon, Curtis Lazar would probably all be auditioning for it, yeah. And well, where, is you, where are you as a team then? Because sometimes you look you're at... You're not as good. Yeah, sometimes you look at your team and then go, okay, well, if we're going to take a step back because we can't re-sign Bo Horvat because he's priced out for us, mm-hmm. then, then what are we going to do? Maybe yeah. this would be the time to acknowledge that next year might be a step back and a bit of a a bit of a reset year yeah well i think that's where it's gonna go also i mean it just seems do you though yeah they just never seem to do it though i don't well i mean we'll go into the season they like reset and then they'll spend a bunch of money in free agency and we actually we want to make the playoffs right and we change our mind we are once again forgetting that there are two parties in this is that i don't see at this stage of the game why horvat of the horvat camp would be interested in taking what would probably have to be a hometown discount as opposed to what he could get on the open market. I mean, I, I, Sarah Valley came on here earlier and said there's one team that said we'd be uh, we'd entertain the idea of paying him a salary that is a nine million dollar cap hit, and that yeah. it starts with a nine. I wouldn't have been Who knows surprised. What the last number is could be a nine as well. That'd be a cool figure. I wouldn't have been surprised a year ago if Horvat would have taken a bit of a hometown discount, a bit of. He's the captain of the team, and I think he, well, at that time he wanted to stay with the Canucks. He wanted sure. to be a career Canuck. I have to wonder, and I, if I were to guess, I have to believe that his opinion on this team has changed a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if he feels a little disrespected. After the Miller signing, you mean? That there were other guys that were prioritized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the first offer from the Canucks, if it's true that it came in around five and a half per year. Like, what are you thinking then? He's like, double you it. You don't think Double I'm, it. Yeah. You don't think that I'm close to the player that JT Miller is. And then All he- right. Yep. Well, and I'm going to score a bunch of goals now, and I'm going to make this a really tough decision on you. And frankly, the loyalty that I feel to this organization, maybe it's waned a little bit. Bo Horvat's a big star. He's doing commercials with Connor McDavid. Yeah. This is a potential to grow your brand exponentially. Be bigger. Be better. He's got 20 goals this year. I know Bruff doesn't like that commercial, but it's actually kind of growing on me. Is it because they play it 3,000 times a game? No, I just, it's so clever. There's all is, the little is, cool is, little things. Is Eastside Mario's also growing on you? That one is not. <laughs> Hey, no, okay. no disrespect for Eastside Mario. Where does it on on the uh, Ontarians for inexplicably like this food chain? Where does that <laughs> it's rank? It's not that. Uh, where does it rank next to Swiss Chalet? It's Is not, it not Swiss Chalet tier. No. Here. Okay. no it's... Uh, Andy, we're gonna throw you yes. into the spotlight here. Who won the tickets to go see the Canucks and the Wild Saturday, seven o'clock puck drop? It'll be a fun. Uh, it was Windsor from Coquitlam. Congratulations, Windsor. He's texted in Bo for nine is wild. You know what else would be wild? Getting to go to see the game on Saturday. Oh, nice. All you got to do is pander sometimes. Yeah, all you got to do is And have a cool name like Windsor. Yeah. It's been a good name show. Yeah, no. I Xander. Know. Xander, Windsor. Windsor. Mm-hmm. That's really it. it is That's a good Zed. royal name. The House of Windsor. Windsor is a good name. I don't know anyone named Windsor. I don't either. Do you watch? Do, does anyone here watch The Crown? I don't. Nobody watches The Crown? Halford, no? It's about the monarchy? Yeah. <laughs> So the answer right is no, I guess. <laughs> is, yeah. it, uh, is it fictional or is well, it? Well, the problem with this year uh-huh. is um, Prince Charles, the actor that is portraying Prince Charles, is wildly handsome. No, that's, like, not, it, that's not accurate. No, it's it's not accurate. They, the first thing they should have done is like, all right, if you don't have big ears, 
Don't even yeah. Your don't face even should audition be ninety percent ears and teeth. That should be your face. Yeah, if but you he's made out of the big percentage book of British smiles. Ninety percent ears and teeth. Yeah. yeah. If you if your most of your face isn't made up of teeth and ears, then like the de- the the character or the act the actor Dominic they've West? got. From the wire, that's who it is. Yeah, like oh that's who God. it is, oh, right? So, since we got to go, Jay and Ladner as well. He's entered into the uh, grand prize zoom zoom draw. Uh, he, he says, "What we learned? I've learned that a lack of structure is just the new way to play the game. Bruce is ahead of his time. The '80s are back." Jay and Ladner, he's entered in the grand prize draw. I can't believe Dominic West is playing Prince Charles. He's I know, so it's, handsome. It's, it's ridiculous. Why do I even try. Okay, we gotta go. <laughs> uh, we will be back tomorrow. Depending on how this meeting goes. Uh, but we're leaving for now. Signing off. I have been Mike Alford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A Dog. And he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.